When I was very young growing up and going to church, the, the people that were teaching us children wanted us to understand where we could find the stories in the Bible, and we'd have to understand that by understanding where the books of the Bible are located. And so they wanted us to memorize the books of the Bible, and so they did that by teaching us a song, which is probably the case of what had happened in this preschool that I'm about to show you. And at their preschool graduation, one of the children demonstrated what it was to memorize the books of the New Testament and to be able to do that by song. And he was doing well until he went off script. Here's what happened. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts 2, Lesson to the Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus and Philemon, Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, first and second and third John, Jude and Revelation. Oh, my exes live in <laughs> So I have never put June Revelation with all my exes live in Texas. <laughs> so we have to ask the question, why did she stop him? And you might think, well, because that stuff doesn't belong in church. Which begs the question, what does belong in church? And maybe even more importantly, what does the church belong in? So this last Tuesday, during the great eerie blackout. Uh, Pam and I were having some fun hanging out with the young adults, eerie young adults, and so we ended up outside on the hillside. And, and so we had this, this question we asked, which is simply this, why do we let God only dwell in cathedrals and in places where there are worship bands and not in sweaty gyms or at the Fox and Hound or in Taylor Swift concerts or in really hard breakups. Somehow we have separated God from us, and we call it sacred and secular. We're here, and God is over there. This morning, this is sacred. Monday will be secular. It was the prophet Isaiah who had this confrontation, this revelation, this exposure to the immensity, how immense God is to the degree that he infiltrates the entirety of our world. And here is the description that he gave, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, meaning the train of his robe is all his immense power. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, what? 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full. The whole earth, the whole earth, even eerie PA in the dark, the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Last week, we talked about what is holy. And if you weren't here, I'm going to encourage you to get a hold of that teaching, download the podcast, because I think it will help give you a view of the immensity of God. Holy comes from a root word that simply means an awful thing. So they were crying out, holy, holy, holy. Were they saying, well, God's awful, God's awful? No, what they're saying is the situation we're in right now, this is just incredibly awful because he is so immense, he is so uncontrollable. This is who we are, that's who he is, and he is just so far beyond anything we could ever think about or even imagine that it scares us. It frightens us. So what do you do with that which scares you to that degree? You take that God and you put him in a cathedral. You put him in a box and you say, here, we'll do this on Sunday morning. We'll show up and get ourselves as cleaned up as we possibly can so that when we get to you, maybe you will be okay with us. And we will call that sacred and we'll come and do the sacred thing in the sanctuary. And then we'll leave you there on Sunday and on Monday. We'll go to the secular and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And perhaps if we need a miracle, we need an intervention, we'll come get you, bring you over there, open you up, and let your otherness take care of that situation. And then we'll take you back and put you back where you belong where we'll see you the next Sunday. The problem with that is when you study his otherness and his holiness, we realize you can't control holy because holy invades everything. Listen to Isaiah's response to this epiphany. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, or other words say, I am undone, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. He's saying, Oh, no, 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 no. This holiness has just invaded my secular. I have, have tried to keep this to the side, and you have come, and you have invaded, and you have made me undone. I am dude. I thought my life had integration. I thought everything was in its place, but you've begun pulling the bad parts out, and now I am totally disintegrated. Because I've looked at you and I now see an invading general, an invading leader of his army, an invading warrior. And you are not the nice, you can do anything you want because I, I love you, God. He is not stuck in this place of, of sacredness where he says, I wish I could come over there, but the boundary says that's secular, and so I do not invade there. I just stay, and I'll meet you on Sunday morning, but I'm not over there. In fact, from his view, there is no secular. There is only sacred and profane. There is only holy and profane. Profane is holy tamed, wholly abused, wholly treated in an unholy manner. And so God makes it clear to the psalmist when he declares this in Psalm 50, verse 12, for all the world is mine. And how much in it? Everything in it. 
everything, including Jude and Revelation and all my exes live in Texas. <laughs> See, we'd like to have a God who protects us, but he doesn't intrude. We, we want a God who is active but doesn't demand. We want a God who is just but non-judgmental. I want to put my faith in a God who will rescue us but not mess with us. And what Isaiah is describing, what we have been calling the holy wild, this place where God is so immense and so uncontrollable that God will mess with us whenever he wants and wherever he wants and whatever he wants to mess with us, he will deal with that. So before Peter was a follower of Jesus, he was a worshiper of Jehovah God and a fisherman. It was the family religion and it was the family business. It put food on the table and it appeased God who had not spoken to them for 400 years. One evening they were out fishing, he and, and his comrades, and, and, and they caught nothing, absolutely caught nothing. They're back on the beach in the morning and they're drying out their nets and, and this Jesus who he's familiar with is, is right next to him and he's teaching this crowd of people on the shore and Jesus turns to him seeing the boats there and he says, here, let me borrow that for a floating pulpit. I want to speak to these people. So he goes out, he speaks, he comes back in and he says to Peter, he says, get back in your boats, go out there and throw your nets in the deep end, which is a really stupid thing to say. Because Jesus is a craftsman. Jesus is a carpenter. He's a stonemason. And fishing is the life that Peter's family's had for generations. He understands the sea. He understands fishing. He's a little resistant and finally says, okay, because you say so, I'll do that. They put the nets down, and his net fills so full that the net begins to break. He calls over the other boat, and they fill his boat and the other boat until the boats are swamped and they begin to sink. And when he gets back to the shore, here's what happens. Luke records it in Luke 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Simon has just experienced and tasted the holy wild. But look at his catch. That's a miracle. The dude has just won the fish lottery. He's loaded. This is, this is going to take care of him for a long time. And don't we do that? Don't we gather because we want to taste the holy wild? We want to taste this, this immensity of God? We, we want to see a miracle? We want to have an angelic visitation? We want to get in a worship gathering where it's just like we're sitting next to God. Peter would experience that when he would go with Jesus to the, to the top of a mountain and Jesus would suddenly begin to ooze out his divinity, that which has been hidden for so long, he begins to see and he just begins to shine. And, and Jesus is standing there talking to Moses, who's been dead, and there he is, Moses the lawgiver and Elijah the prophet, and it's just an amazing thing. And Peter goes, let's build three places where you guys can live and we'll just hang out there because this is just so awesome. It's a taste of the holy wild. Oh, this is great stuff. But at this moment on the seashore, I have the suspicion that what Peter is feeling at this moment is 
if Jesus hangs around here too much longer, not only will I get a taste of Jesus, I will get an invasion from Jesus. And I don't think I want that invasion because the holy invades everything, not just what tastes good. So he said, depart from me. And I think he may be thinking, depart from me, but if you could come back every, every week about this time and I'll get in the boat and we'll do that thing and, I'll, and, then, and then you'll fill the nets and that would just be a miraculous deal. Because if you'd do that, the missus and I would be so happy because we could get that condo out there on the Mediterranean Sea and oh, oh yeah, and, and we'll invite evangelists traveling through to come use it. And we could, we could all these fish, we could pay off the mortgage on the house and there's no better witness than being debt free. And then in Simon Jr., we could send him to Bible college. You'd love that. Peter, how you doing? Just so blessed. Blessed. I'm just so blessed. But here's the leak in the boat. Jesus is not called to follow us. We are called to follow him which means losing control to the one who's uncontrollable. See, Jesus does not live so that he can be in our boats and fill up our nets. In fact, he will actually ask us to leave our boats and leave our nets and follow him. Because to follow Jesus means to leave everything. So let me just ask a question here. It's not a trick question. Just how many of you Proclaim that you're followers of Jesus. Okay. That simply means losing control to the one who's uncontrollable. And Peter doesn't want to make that choice. Peter doesn't want to be confronted with this thing. Because he's, he's, he, look at the stuff he's got now. He's been waiting for this opportunity, and he doesn't want to have to deal with this. See, we get settled in life, and, and things are going good, and we have, we have the right house, and we have the right job, and we have the right family, we have the right friends, and, and we just graduated from grad school, and I just got that raise and that promotion, and that's a great thing, and, 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 and God just blessed me with some really great stuff. God just blessed me. He just, oh, how are I'm blessed. And then he says, come follow me. And I want to say, wait, 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 wait. I invoke secular and sacred. I'll give you this. So, so depart from me except for this sacred spot and depart from my, my secular because I want to keep the secular here. So here's what I'll do. I, I will give you two Sundays a month. Well, that's really great because most people just give you one. So I'm giving you double. And, and, and I'm giving you 2% tithe. I'll go by 2.5. Which is crazy because tithe means 10% anyhow. I'll increase my prayer time in those weeks that NCIS is in reruns. Following Jesus means what he wants from us is uncontrollable. No conditions, just trust. That's a tough place to get to. Either Peter leaves everything or Jesus leaves Peter. Peter. 
Peter can stay in his boat and tell Jesus stories, or Peter can get out of the boat and become part of the story. And what happens, Luke says, is this, and as soon as they landed, they left everything. They left what? Everything. I want you to catch this. The guy just hit the lottery, and he leaves it, and he follows Jesus. It's not easy to leave our boat and head out into the holy wild. It's a lot easier to just hang in the boat. I appreciate the honesty of Pastor Mark Buchanan, who describes it this way. He says, every Sunday I get up in front of 500 people and find myself preaching from a fishboat to people on fishboats. It doesn't matter that we finished last Sunday committing with fresh and joyful resolve to live in the power of the resurrection and to go out into all the earth and make disciples sometime or to make disciples. And then sometime around Wednesday, or for some of us between the church foyer and our parking spot, we find ourselves mindlessly wandering toward our fish boat, climbing on and setting sail. Because last week we did it. We had a great ending. We talked about, about his holiness and his immensity and we're going to change. And for all of us, we got someplace during the week and went, uh, it's easier to do. And, and I did this. But Sunday, I'll get caught back up. Following Jesus has never been about him blessing. It's always been about people. Because Jesus then said to Peter, as he began to follow, he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing, all right, but you'll be fishing for people. But wait, wait, wait what does that mean? Where are we going? What does that mean I'm going to do? How long will I be gone? That's out of our control. That's part of living in the holy wild. See, Jesus said these words, and they shake us up, but he said this, Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So Jesus says, come follow me, and we say, hmm, how long? Where? What will I do? I mean, you just blessed me with this stuff. Do I leave that? Jesus says, come follow me, and it simply means that, that we've got to let go of things. We have to release some things, and, and you say, but it's killing me. Exactly. Yeah. Because this one who is known for resurrection power, when we leave it all, resurrects us to a better life. I want to show you a guy, his name is Dick Brogdon. That's Dick, the tall guy. He's dealing with this, and in, in, in what we call the holy wild, he calls living dead. And in dealing with following Jesus, even when it means to go to difficult places, whether it's next door in your neighborhood or halfway around the world, here's what he says. Christ is unknown among many indigenous peoples who are hostile to Christian missions. And the Lord still says, I'm sending you a sheep in the midst of wolves. You'll be hated by all for my sake. Are you sure God wants you to keep doing what you're doing? For most of you, he probably does. 
Your calling is radical obedience for the glory of Christ right where you are. But for many, God wants to loosen your roots and plant you in another place. And that scares us because it's so uncontrolled or uncontrollable. I don't know if I want to respond to that because where? Where will I end up? And Because I really like what I've got. And what will I do? Because I don't think I've ever done that thing before. And you might ask me to do something I've never done before. I'm really good at this, but what were you going to ask me to do? And how long? How long will I be gone? Because I'm going to miss these people. I'm going to miss my family. I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss them. How long will that be? It's out of our control. Following Jesus has never been about my blessings. It's always been about people. The Arab world, the ends of the earth, thousands of unreached groups are unengaged. No churches, no Christians, no witness, no glory. It's not an issue of lostness. Jesus died for all the children of the world. It's an issue of access. God has a huge heart for himself. That sounds strange to us, but before man ever existed, God was there and there was glory and there was love and there's interaction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God lives to glorify himself. Who else would God glorify? Should God glorify me? Should God glorify you? No, he must glorify himself. And God will be glorified by every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And this is the missionary heart of God. This is why God exists, if you will, and this is why He has allowed us to exist, that we would glorify God together. This is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We are commissioned, sent, as Jesus was sent, to go into every nation, every tribe, every people, and to proclaim the glories of God. And this is why missions exist, because worship doesn't. God is determined that every people will praise Him. And this is the passionate, beating heart of God from eternity past, forever and ever. Amen. A man or a woman here in the hardy Arab world is not more lost than a man or a woman in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But at least in Grand Rapids, there are churches, there are bookstores, there's radio stations, there's literature, there's opportunity to hear about Jesus. 1.7 billion Muslims in the world today. In fact, 40% of the world doesn't have access to the gospel. 40%, that is almost two and a half, three billion people 
that don't have opportunity to hear about Jesus, the Savior, how sins can be forgiven, and how heaven can be gained. This is the reality of our day that is much more sobering than economic poverty, or even political upheaval, or any of the other pressing issues that are real and that God cares about. But He, he longs for eternal souls. He longs for us to be reconciled with Him. And the reality is, 40% of the world doesn't even have a chance. I must go where the wild orchids Look out upon the horizon's distant glow. I don't know how long I'll have to wait on this island in time that delivers up my fate. Messages were spread across the that try to make amends Too late that ship had passed before Sailing to an unknown land Two point eight billion people in the world that are unreached. That's a lot of people. How are we going to reach that many people, especially when they live in difficult climates and contexts that are oppressive and unfriendly to the gospel? The only way that we're going to reach Libyans and Saudis and Syrians is if we live dead. We're going to have to die to our ideas of comfort and culture and security and convenience. We're going to have to lay down our wills. We're going to have to lay down our expectations. We're even going to have to lay down our lives. The gospel includes suffering. And Jesus suffered for us and calls us to follow in his steps. And that's what the Live Dead initiative is. It's, it is a joyful death to self that Jesus can be magnified and glorified by these wonderful people that are so lost and that he loves so dearly. John 15 verse 5 says that if we abide in Jesus, we'll bear fruit and the fruit will remain. This is the heart of all missions. It's giving Jesus extravagant time. It's loving Jesus so much. It's lingering in his presence. It's feeding on his word. That's where we get our strength. That's where we get our joy. That's where we get our power through the Holy Spirit to bring life, abundant life, to these places of death. We can reach our world with the glorious message that there is one Savior, there is one Lord, He is Lord of all the nations, and He lives that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, from every race, has the opportunity to enjoy Him forever and to glorify His name.
God's glory everywhere. Every tribe and people and nation in worship. That's where we're headed. What a joy. So, if we actually, as followers of Jesus, believe what we've sung today, the great I am, it begins to sink into us that, that he's immense, that he's uncontrollable. And that we will, we will, we will, we will have an encounter with him that says, will you follow me? And then we realize that he's also saying, will you leave everything? Because if he's as immense as he is and, and as great as he is, then, then leaving something behind to follow him is really leaving nothing behind because he has so much. And we struggle doing that. I struggle doing that. There's there are times I say, oh, I'll just whatever. And then there's times I go, I, I just, I don't want to go because I want to hang on to this. I, I, I like this thing. So when Jesus was resurrected, he met with his disciples and it said that he, he blew on them the Holy Spirit. He, he energized them with the very power that lifted him from the grave. That very power that's in you. And then he made this statement. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And do you know what Peter did? He went fishing. Back to the boat. Deja vu. He took half the disciples with him, fished all night, caught nothing. The next morning, a man on the shore that they didn't recognize yet said, catch anything? Nope. Put your nets on the other side. They did. And the nets were filled so much that they began to break. And Peter thought, hmm, Jesus. He gets to the shore. And Jesus has the conversation again. You can have the boats and the fish, or you can have me. You get to choose. Because the question really is this, do you love me? In fact, he says this, do you love me more than these? And I just got to know that in the context, he's also talking about all the stuff. He just, I mean, he just got it again. He just hit the lottery. There it is. But do you love me more than the stuff? Do you love me more than the blessings that I've given you that you would leave those and you would follow me? Do you love me? And he asked him that three times so that it will sink in. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? See, this morning, you've expressed your love to Jesus, but I'm telling you, he's saying the same thing to all of us. But do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than family? Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your education? Do you love me more than your comfort? Do you love me more than your fear? Do you love me? 
Because that's, that's the deal. You got to follow me. You got to trust me. Am I not immense? Am I not great? But I am uncontrollable. I am not your safe God. You can't put me in sacred and secular. And I am everywhere. And I'm messing with you. Peter responds and says, yes, I do love you. And he knows exactly what that means. And then Jesus says this again to him. Then he said to him, what? Follow me. Leave it all. But where? What will I do? How long will this take? I'm sorry. You can't control that. So in this series, we always end these series of these messages with this information. I have good news and I have bad news. Here's the bad news. It's out of our control. I hate that. I want control. But here's the good news. It's all in God's control. And as we learned last week, he's good. So if that's the case, then we're, we're, we're going to be faced today with some questions. Do we stay in our boat and tell Jesus stories, or do we get out of our boat and become part of Jesus' story? Do I save my life, or do I live dead? Am I saying to Jesus today, depart from me? See, if I do that, I got control. Or am I ready for him to say to me, do you love me? More than these, and we all have our these. Do you love me more than these? And if we say yes, he'll say, come follow me. Which means, come on, leave it all behind. So John and the band are going to bring us right back to that declaration of his great I amness, if you will. And as you sing that for just a few moments and I'll be back, I'm going to ask you to think about his question to us. Will you follow me? Do you love me? Will you leave it all behind? And then we'll seal that together at the conclusion of us singing. Would you stand and make this declaration of his immensity and his greatness?
mountain shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell nor any who can stand before the power and the presence of great i am great i
so in this moment, hear the voice of God saying, do you love me more than these? May you have the courage this week to answer yes. May you have the faith to believe that you can leave it all behind and find yourself. And may you have the joy of moving beyond your blessings into finding people to whom you can reveal the great I am. May you explode with resurrection power this week. May you find your discouragement has departed and your selfishness has been erased. And may you awaken in the mornings with an expectancy of the release of the greatness of God in you, through you, and around you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.